Let's play that video. There's gold up there, Hills. Unbelievable story. It's true, Robin. This is a California couple who goes out on a walk with their dog, and they come home multi-millionaires after stumbling on a veritable pot of gold. Okay, this may not be a national treasure, but coin collectors say it may be the biggest buried treasure ever found in the U.S. A collection of coins worth more than $10 million. It was found by a couple out doing the same stroll they do every day. There are many coins here that are better than anything anyone's ever seen. Gold coins, some incredibly rare. The husband, wife, and dog were on a path on their California ranch when they saw what looked like a rusty can sticking out of the ground. Full of dirt, and they saw just the very rim of one coin sticking out and immediately knew what it was. The couple unearthed more than 1,400 U.S. coins, all dating from the late 1800s and all in pristine condition. For safety concerns, the couple says they want to remain anonymous. They haven't even told extended family members and they say no bank is safe enough either. The couple is keeping the coins right where they found them, saying in a statement they dug a hole in the wood pile and cut a slab of green board to cover it. They put the coins in plastic bags, then put them in a box inside an old ice chest and buried them. Most of the coins will be put up for sale on Amazon, while the couple will hold on to a few keepsakes. Among the coins that they found, if you're a coin collector, the 1866 No Motto Double Eagle, that one coin is worth a million dollars. The No Motto oh. Double Eagle? The No Motto Double Eagle. <laughs> no. That's... Good, Ginger. Now, I want you to imagine taking a prayer walk some morning, and you see a rusty old can, and you say, honey, let's go check that out. And you discover $10 million in gold coins. Now, wouldn't that make your day? You think about what's the biggest thing you've ever found? Have you ever, ever anyone ever uh, picked up 100 bucks on the ground? That's pretty awesome. I was working as a uh, teller in a savings and loan during college. And one day a guy walked into the bank and he, he said, Hey, I want to turn in these coins, these quarters. And I put them in my, my bank. And I said, Great. Looked at the coins. They were 100% silver. So I talked to my manager, said, would you mind if I just bought these, these coins at face value? She said, no problem. It was like 50 bucks worth of coins or 40 or 50. I took them later that afternoon to a coin dealer. Got $270 for those silver coins. Man, I was so fired up. I mean, that's like the biggest like, treasure I had ever found to that moment. I immediately went out and bought a turntable. This was during the 80s, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say I just saved it. Now it's, uh, now it's worth $1,000. No, not quite. But Jesus talks about treasure in the Bible. Let's, let's take a look at Jesus' treasure principle in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus teaches us something about treasure. Whatever we set our affection on, our mind on, our attention, that's where we're going to find our heart. We're driven by our hearts more than we care to admit. All kinds of things can be our treasure. The per- pursuing the perfect body, women, men, TV, sports, real estate acquisitions, stocks, partying, goals or ambitions, 
sports achievement, sex, adventure, winning our fantasy football league, lottery, who knows? These create a hope in us that once I get this, once I get this in my hands, I'm going to be so happy. And you see, whatever captures your attention or whatever you dwell on freely in your spare time, that is your treasure. That is your treasure. And the quality of your treasure that you're focused on is going to determine the quality of your life. So you have to be very careful what is your treasure. I've gone through some phases. I, I've, oh boy, it, it's interesting. I want to just share. Here's a picture of the very first treasure of my life. This is my first motorcycle. I was 10, 10 or 11 years old. I had a paper route, and one day I'm delivering papers, and I see across at the gas station this, this bike with a for sale sign, 250 bucks. And I'm like, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I've got to have it. I went home. I, I, I talked to my dad. I begged him to front the money for me. And I was earning 40 bucks a month uh, selling papers, delivering papers. It took me six, month to, six months to pay off my dad, but I got that bike. Man, I just rode that thing into the ground. It was just so awesome. Now, when you look at that, you go, man, do you share my enthusiasm about that bike? Do you go, wow, Rob, I wish I could have that too. No, that was treasure at the time. Now let's skip forward a couple years. Let's take a look here. My first car. Now my dad, he was a very practical man, and he said, listen, Rob, buy a Toyota. They're super dependable. Well, I'm 17. I'm like, are you kidding? I want a cool car. So I'm working at the fairgrounds, and I'm driving by a Rayleigh store one day, and I spot the car. I've got to have that car. So I go in, and I, I talk to the guy who's, who's got it out there in a the parking lot, $1,100. And I buy the car, and I'm so fired up. A week later, the engine blew. <laughs> I didn't care. It took me another $1,400 bucks to, to put a new engine in. And I was so fired up. My friends, I'm like, guys, look at this car. It's incredible. Isn't this awesome? They're like, yeah, kind of. And so I got all my buddies in the car, and they're like, Rob, where do we put our feet in the back seat? I said, what do you mean? Well, there's no, uh, you know, the floor panel down here. The floor pan had rusted out in the back. So they had to put their feet on the transmission and on the side and watch the road just run by in the back. You know, I didn't care. That was my treasure. I said, you know what's so awesome about this, guys, is that this car is always clean because the trash just, just gets sucked out. <laughs> and I worked 24-7 to pay for that car and the new engine. I didn't care. It was treasure at the time. I kind of wish I still had it anyway, but it's a pattern. I would get absorbed in things, go, man, this is what I really want. It's going to make me happy. My heart was into it for a while. I remember going to business school. I was a mediocre student in high school, but I, I locked in. I go, I want to go to Berkeley. I want to go to the business school at Berkeley. So I went to junior college. I got straight A's. First time I'd ever gotten anything like that. And I got into the business school. I remember the first party, the welcome party there at Berkeley. And I'm going, this is it? This is what I spent two years just slave? Wow. Okay. I remember thinking, man, okay, I got it, but it didn't produce the kick I thought it would. Elections. I thought maybe I'll go into politics. So I ran for my dorm presidency there at Berkeley. You know what my motto was? I'm so qualified, 
I can't believe it. I had some pride issues. I'd go after relationships. I'd go, if I get this girl, I'm going to be the happiest man in the world. So I'd get a girl, and, and it would go great for a while. You know, just really peek out and then crash one after another. But, you know, I'm the baby of six kids, so I'd seen something happen growing up. My older brothers and sisters, between them, have had 11 divorces. And so I started, you know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I started to put it together like all my relationships are just tanking. My brothers and sisters who've gone before me have had 11 divorces. What's going to happen to me? And that's when I started searching and thinking, you know what? You need a treasure, Rob, that's going to last, that's deeper, that's more satisfied. There's got to be something that can last for longer than what I've had. Let's take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 13. In verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So one person is just stumbles on the treasure. He's like that couple, just accidentally. The other is actively looking for treasure. And some in here, you're actively looking for something deeper. You're looking for something consciously, whether it's spiritual, you don't, maybe you don't even know what it is. Others have been dragged here. And you may just be stumbling on it. But both of the men in the story had the ability to recognize true treasure when they saw it. And they're so fired up, they sold everything they had to gain control of that treasure. And they did it with joy. They're like, wow, this is so worth it. Now, that's the response of some people. But many times, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, some people just don't see the value of Jesus. Have you ever brought someone to church, and you're all fired up? You're like, you're going to love this church. You know, you get that passionate zeal, a little frothy at the mouth. And they sit next to you, and you're like, oh, I wonder how they like this. I wonder how they like this. And afterwards, you go, how'd you like it? It was good. I like the kids' program. <laughs> Untouched. Why is that? I think that's because for many people, Jesus is not treasure. He's just a tool. We view Jesus as, hey, he's good for Todd. Todd needs Jesus. That's good for good. Keep going to church, Todd. We think Jesus will help us be nice people, to have a good marriage. He's a good tool to be a good parent. He, he'll be helpful for us to be, do well in business because people do well who are you know, Christians in business. Or help me to make good friends. Or keep my nose clean and keep me out of trouble. But there's a big difference between a tool and a treasure. Think about it this way. Have you ever tried giving your wife a cordless drill for Christmas? <laughs> Wives, have you ever been excited as you, as your husband opened up a new scrapbooking kit at Christmas. <laughs> what was the look on their face? You see, for one person it might be a treasure, another person it's simply a tool. You know, one time my mom said, my dad, 
<laughs> he, got, he got my mom a shotgun for Mother's Day. <laughs> now, now, for some, that may be exciting, but for my mom, she's like, oh, thanks, Jim. <laughs> you know, this, this year, I really scored big time. Uh, you know, sometimes I get my wife presents, and you know, you, you haven't really hit it, guys, when you, you get the pre- present, and, and you ask her, did you like it? And her voice kind of goes high. She goes, yeah. <laughs> Blew it again. Did you like it, honey? Yeah. <laughs> this year, I came home. I t- said, Pam, sit down, close your eyes, put out your hands. I got a little present for you. So she sat down. She, we brought in this box, and in the box, I put an eight-week-old puppy. Little French bulldog, because Mark Mancini has a French bulldog, so I wanted a French bulldog. (laughs) Cute little dog. And anyway, I put it on her lap, and she's like, it's moving. I said, go ahead and open it up. And she opened it up, saw this little puppy, she's like, I mean, I was like, it's going to be a good Christmas. I'll tell you what, that, this has been the best Christmas of my life. But a tool has no power to capture your imagination or bring out that enthusiasm. That's why you can know Jesus. That's why you can know the Bible, grow up in church, but you're not excited about your faith today. Because Jesus is just a tool. You can be a church. You can do religious activity. But you're not excited internally. You might be a veteran disciple here in Dallas. This is an older church. I came here 20 years ago. You might, you might have been there then. But you've lost the passion in your relationship with Jesus. That's why it can be tough to sacrifice time. Sacrifice money. To have a relationship with Jesus because, let's be honest, at a heart level, he's just not worth it to you. Now, you're never going to say that. Oh, I love Jesus. But at a heart level, an invisible level, he just doesn't rank. And that's why it's difficult for some of us to have lasting change in our lives. Because your heart gravitates towards treasure, not tools. So if sin or another goal or object is in your life, and that's your true treasure... You may change briefly out of willpower, but your heart's going to always guide you back to what you really care for. I want you to imagine that you're in a boat, and the autopilot is set for east, but you decide you want to go west. So you crank that wheel hard to the left, and you go west for a while. As long as you hold the wheel steady, the boat keeps going west, but pretty soon you get tired of fighting the boat's inclination, and you let go of the wheel. And once again, you're heading east because that's the direction the boat is programmed to go. That's how it is when you try to fight your own internal autopilot or heart. By your own willpower, you try to force new behavior. You try, you try, but pretty soon you get tired and you let go. And you revert back to the ways you've always been. Remember Jesus' principle, your heart always follows your true treasure. For some of us, we're really 
we're tempted to let go of that wheel, and we can feel the tension pulling us back into the world. It's scary. And that's the difference between religion and making Jesus your treasure. All of these things reveal that Jesus isn't your treasure. He's just a tool for you. Now, I'm not just talking about those who are visiting church today. Now, when we look at that scripture about the the, uh, treasure hidden in a field, that's often, you know, that's not an original scripture, and it's often used for people visiting. But I'm talking to you as a disciple. I'm talking to everybody in here today. If you're new or an old disciple, Jesus can turn from a treasure to a rusty old tool just sitting in your shed in the blink of an eye. And you just pull him out every Sunday and just, well, here is Jesus. And then you put him back right there on your pegboard. I nearly fell away because I lost my passion for Jesus. I was a one or two year old Christian. And man, pretty soon I'm just like, Man, these people, these, you know, you always say these people. These people want, always wanting something else. You know, a special missions, got to do this, I got to do that. They want me to do this. They, man, they just want a piece of me. Those people, the church. And we view the church, we view God's body as a system. Because I lost sight of the value of Jesus. Man, I had to do a hard change to regain my love for Christ. But, you know, that, when I'm, not, I'm not just talking about 20 years ago. This happens all the time. More, the most recent is, uh, you know, Todd shared, I planted a church in Ashland, Oregon. That's my hometown. My wife and I moved there. We, we stepped out of the paid ministry so that we could start the church and do it because that's where my family lives. I really wanted to save my family. And so I was all fired up to do it, and we did it, and like it grew. I was so happy about that. My heart was in it. I was just like, I want to do this for Christ. And always my, my plan was, you know, at some point we'll get the church going. I'll we'll probably go back into the paid ministry because I felt like that was our, our calling. But uh, when we first started, I was selling real estate to support the church. And at, at first, this is about 2004, 5, yeah, 5 6, the, the real estate market was hot. Okay, and I was just thinking, I'm just going to just crank. This is going to go well. Then the market tanked. Man, I lost all my savings. I mean, everything. I'd never been in such financial distress in my life. I was just like, oh, this is bad. During the week, I'm, I'm doing real estate in a terrible market, worst market ever. And on the weekends, I'm preaching. And uh, praise God, the church was growing. That was a source of light, and I was happy to do it at the time, you know, for Christ. But then in 2012, they were starting to see some signs of life in the real estate market. And right then, I got a phone call from a guy named Bruce Williams, who was leading the church in Los Angeles. And he said, Rob, I'd like you to consider moving to Tucson, Arizona to plant a church. We'll be able to put you back in the full-time ministry. We'll help you find someone to replace uh, the leadership of your church there in Ashland. And I was like, wow, yes, because I'd been thinking, how am I gonna, how am I gonna get back into the full-time ministry if I ever want to do this? And there the phone call came. And so I was like, oh, but at the same time, my heart was torn. Because I realized money and security had become my treasure. Much more than I care to admit. And I told Bruce up until this time, and you talk to an old disciple, oh, you man, 
back in the day, I just sold everything. I had like two suitcases. I went all over the place. You know, I went here, I went there. You know, they'll, they'll brag all day long about all the things they did for Jesus. But here I was, like 46, three kids, one kid about to become a senior in high school, just, just getting, working my way out of debt. And he tells me to go back in the paid minister. I'm like, oh, gosh. You know what I said? No. He said, are you sure? I said, I don't think so. And I had a lot of good reasons. I'm leading a church. You know, I got my kids. They're in high school. Probably wouldn't be a good time. But in my heart, I'm like, if I just hang on here a little bit longer, I'm going to make bank. (laughs) I mean, I deserve it because I've been working so hard and sacrificing for Jesus. So I need that money. I really do. Now, I didn't tell that to Bruce, but I told him, church needs me. They need me. Got a mission here. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking dollar signs. And I came back, and I talked to Pam, and she's like, honey, I think we should go. I'm like, I don't know. It was the toughest decision in my life, but I finally decided, listen, what is my treasure? Is it this money that I could make, or is it Jesus? And I said, Rob, it's got to be Jesus. That's why you came to here to Ashland in the first place. Don't forget that. It wasn't the money. That was just a, a tool to help you support the church. So we decided to go, and God has blessed the church. We started with 22. The church is over 100 now uh, in Tucson, 175 on Sundays. It's exciting. And it's so, I'm so happy because of the souls that have been saved as a result of that decision. But I got to tell you, it wasn't easy because I really saw my greed. And first time I'd really wrestled with that before. I, before, I, like, money doesn't matter to me. It mattered this time. I went back this last summer for the 10th anniversary of the church. And it just so happened I ran into a person at a party, a baby shower for someone in the church. turned out to be an old peer realtor that I had been working with in my office. And we were right right around the same level of production in real estate. And so I'm talking. Her name's Deanna. And I'm like, Deanna, great to see you. She goes, Rob, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. I'm in the ministry. She goes, oh, Rob, the market here is doing so well. <laughs> it's, it's beyond where it ever was at its peak. I'm like, good, that's great. She goes, I've already closed 90 sales so far this year. This is in June of this past year. And so I'm just calculating in my mind, you know, <laughs> And I'm like nodding my head. You know, that's about six, seven, eight thousand dollars per per closing. So what she's telling me, she's already banked maybe six hundred thousand dollars halfway through the year. And I'm just sitting there going, Oh, that's great. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. And I'm just, oh, I just came home and I'm like, oh, honey, you don't feel so good. Because <laughs> I just looked at her and I, I just, you know, I'm just struggling with jealousy, envy. I'm just like, oh, honey, because I go, that could have been me. But you know what? I just had to decide Jesus is my treasure. He's got to be my treasure. So, how do we get it? So, Jesus is more than a tool, He's our treasure. In the story that we read earlier, both people realized they had something that was worth more than anything they currently had. 
They saw it. Their eyes were open. Sometimes, though, we just don't recognize the value of Jesus, of what we really have. And it reminds me of a story. When I was in Japan, there was a guy who had visited us from time to time. His name was Ken Lowe. And Ken was a, a jeweler who was a Chinese guy who lived in Thailand, and his family owned uh, a jewelry shop there. And they would come to, he would come to Tokyo to sell his, his jewelry from time to time. So he'd come in, and he would stay at our place, very modest person. He had like a carry-on bag, and he would open it up, and I'm like, whoa. I mean, it'd be packed with jewelry. And I asked him the question. I said, Ken, how did you get your start? Where'd the money originally come from to get all this stuff you got? And he said, well, it's an interesting story. My family, my grandfather was Chinese, obviously, and he was living in Cambodia at the time. And a farmer came to him one day, and he sold him something. He sold him this, this rock for like 25 bucks. And so my grandfather bought it, and he knew it was a gem of some value. But basically, my grandfather just kept it in a paper bag up in his shelf in the kitchen for a number of years. Always singing, i got to get, get around to figuring out how much this thing is really worth. So he kept it there. Finally, he pulls it out of the, of the cabinet, takes it down to an appraiser. The appraiser says, you have the second largest ruby existing. So he split it up into a however many different ways, and that formed the foundation for their wealth. And from that, they built their family business. What if he'd never taken a second look? at that rock sitting, sitting in that bag? What if he never got it appraised? And for many, Jesus is like that. He's like that stone in a paper bag, taking up space up on our shelf, like that right next to the dusty old Bible we got up there. We know Jesus is up there. We know he's got some value. He's good for some people. But we don't realize just what a treasure we have right underneath our own roofs. And I want to encourage you this year in 2016, pull Jesus out of the bag. Get him appraised. I don't care if you're looking at him for the first time or if you consider yourself a disciple for 20 years. Dust him off. You got something that is of infinite value. As we move forward, you're going to go back to your various regions. Your, your leader's going to tell you all these practical stuff you're going to be doing. But listen, I want to tell you, there's nothing more important than realizing the value of Jesus in your life. Sit down with someone who can really explain or appraise the value of Jesus. That's what I did. There was a guy living next door to me in the dorms at UC Berkeley. And I just got interested. I'm like, man, I really need some help. And he sat down with me. And went through the scripture and said, this is what Jesus did for you. We talked about my own sin. We talked about what it means to follow Christ. And I go, man, this is something that's going to last. You know, I've been a disciple now going on 30 years. I've been married to the most awesome wife for 25 years. That's a miracle. That's Jesus right there. When you look at my background, only way I'd still be married is because Jesus is the treasure in my life. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can get my heart right or where it once was when I was fired up. Or I don't know if I can be perfect enough or sell everything what you're talking about. Listen, by yourself, you can't. But here's the good news. Jesus is also looking for treasure. 
Let's go back to Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, this story is ambiguous. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Who is the merchant? Is it Jesus or is it you? Or is it both? We don't know. But we know this. In order to have you, Jesus was willing to sell everything he had and give up everything to purchase you. It says he purchased you with his blood. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, it says, Let's run the race that we have to run with patience, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source and the goal of our faith. For he himself endured a cross and thought nothing of its shame because of the joy he knew would follow his suffering. As Jesus hung there on the cross, there was joy in his mind. Why? Because he knew. He said, listen, I've got this person. It's worth it. This person, it's worth the pain. If I can just hang on, I'm glad to get rid of everything, including my own life, for that, for that person, for you. You are that treasure in Jesus' eyes. You are that pearl. It cost him his life, but he did it with joy because to him you are worth every penny, every drop of his blood. I want to take a look at a, a video that I really like and really shows the love of Jesus and how special you are in his eyes. You. Look at your eyes. Look at them. Speckled. Colorful. Each one unique. And I created every one of them. I created everything. The universe. And you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure. Every day, I give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, were slowly dying so you looked for other things to fill the void but nothing works it just kills you faster and it separates us more and more destroyed but to know me 
So I became one of you, a fragile creation. I was tempted, but I never sinned. I came to save you. You have so many sins, and they have a cost. Someone has to die, you or me. So I took on your sin. Jesus's treasure. You are that pearl of great price. And when you realize that, something will come alive inside. And you'll want to make him the treasure of your life. You know, today, if, if you've felt anything, if you've drifted away from Jesus as your treasure, I want to call you back. To make him the treasure of your life. To dedicate him as your greatest treasure in 2016. And if you don't know who he is, find out. Let me leave you with a couple practicals here. First of all, you can just start by memorizing Matthew 6.21, the treasure principle. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Secondly, sit down with someone who can show you the true value of Jesus. Maybe you're visiting, you've drifted away, you don't know too much, you have a shaky foundation spiritually. Have them show you how much you mean to Jesus and how to follow him and make him your treasure. For disciples, I want to call you to repent and restore your first love for Jesus like it talks about in Revelation. If, if you sense, man, I don't think Jesus is my treasure, it's time to make a change right now at the beginning of the year. Don't wait six months. Do the things you did at first, like Jesus says. Maybe this year you need to let go of something that's rivaling your affection for Jesus. Just let it go. You know, I had to let go of that situation in Oregon. It was tough. It's not easy. But if there's something that's stealing the value of Christ, let it go. 
I'm glad I did. I'm so glad. And reestablish Jesus as your treasure. Make him your first love. Before we pray for the communion, I want to say thanks to Todd and Patty for their invitation to come here. It means a lot to me. It's a real honor to be here with the elders, other evangelists. Thank you to the church. You've got a great church here. You have so much to be proud of. Uh, it's so impressive. I'm just learning so much and glad to be here with you. I love you so much. Thank you for this time. Let's go to God right now and remember Jesus at this communion. Jesus, we want to thank you that we mean so much to you, that you found us lost in darkness and in sin, so messed up. And you sold everything you had. You came down into this world, became poor for our sakes. You left the comfort of heaven. You left the blessings from above because we matter to you. And Jesus, I pray for a heart change for all of us as we take this body, the blood that represents the price you were willing to pay for us. I pray that we can do away with empty religion, with the external attitude of, of religious service. Instead, we can give our hearts to you. We can love you deep, deep down and rekindle the fire that we want to have for you. We admit we're super sinful, we're hard-hearted at times, we're stubborn. Soften our hearts and open our eyes to the love you have for us so that we can love you in a, in a way that we want to. Lord, thank you for this time of communion. Thank you for this church. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.